Hello, welcome to the Oxford Comment Minisode. We're talking today about uh, politics and especially for the midterm elections this year here in the United States. Uh, we're talking with Lexi Beach, owner of Astoria Bookshop. Uh, Lexi, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Uh, my name is Lexi Beach. As Caitlin said, I opened the Astoria Bookshop a little over five years ago. It's just across the river from these studios in Queens. I came from a publishing background. I had started at Simon & Schuster and then worked in a variety of odd jobs at different uh, companies that uh, eventually led me to open my own store. And um, five years in, we are going strong, and I have a full staff who are wonderful and engaged, and we have fantastic customers over there in Astoria. I think we'll start off with how do you decide which books to stock in your store? Um, and sort of off of that, has the election cycle um, and the last two years uh, affected that in some way? Generally speaking, um, this is a question that we that I do get a lot. I am the sole buyer at the store. Uh, my buying decisions are a mix of personal taste, suggestions from my staff, suggestions from my sales reps, and things that customers ask for or trends that I see in other parts of the country, other parts of the city. Um, it's a very small store. We're about a thousand square feet, so there's not um, so much room to cover every single niche category and every subgenre of uh, whatever there might be. But um, it's a very diverse neighborhood, which is one of the things that I really love about Astoria. Just about any, every demographic you can think of is represented there, whether it's um, ethnicity or economic background or um, education level, country of origin. And so we try to hit a lot of different categories there which is a really fun challenge. Um, I have some wonderful sales reps who guide me in the right direction as often as they can. And uh, my staff are great and read very differently than I do and very differently from each other, which is really helpful to have those different perspectives. Uh, but some of my best-selling titles came as suggestions from customers who said, oh, my kid really loves this series, and so now we start carrying it, and surprise, it does really well. <laughs> um, or something like I special order Meditations by Marcus Aurelius multiple times for customers and realize maybe this is something I should just have on the shelves, and it sells very steadily. Who knew? Uh, in terms of right now, I think as as a small store specifically changing up the inventory just because of an upcoming election isn't really my approach to things, but certainly within the last couple of years, the tenor of what we carry in the history section, in the, socio in the sociology section, um, has changed. We had an activism display table that we put up shortly after the 2016 election that was meant to be up for about for a few weeks a month as most of our display tables do change up very regularly and we kept it up for I think at least six months because people kept buying from it and new books were being published that made sense to add to it and so it changed up very regularly but it was still um, uh, books focusing on political and social activism. Did you find that customers were asking for different things? So you said that a lot of your decisions are based on you know, maybe what customer requests are. Did you find that that shifted as well in the last few years? I think so. And part of that, it's hard to tell sometimes how much of that is 
because of what's being published and the kinds of book deals that people are getting. It's much easier to write a book about, to sell as a writer and as a publisher, a book about, say, women's anger right now than it would have been two years ago. And so that's maybe a category that didn't exist even. And now I can think of three new books this year off the top of my head that are about that, Um, just as an example. Um, So I do, I try to be responsive to titles and categories that customers are asking for, but certainly that feeds back and forth with what publishers are releasing and what available things I can choose to put on my shelves. Right. So one of the things that I think both of our guests on the episode uh, discussed and talked about was data. Um, And so can we talk a little bit about how you sort of see bookstores using new technologies um, in ways, um, but then also ways that they sort of protect um, their customers or, um, you know, the the sort of ways that they are able to um, sort of dance around getting all of your data uh, and being an online source and that kind of thing. Yes, I I am a big fan of data and metadata. Um, I love that I now, now that I've been open for over five years, I have five years of data to look back at and see sales trends and see what kinds of books work um, and see which months certain books sell in that are like assigned reading for this one local school in October. So every year we sell three copies of this book in October and never again the rest of the year. But it's also really important to me, and I try to make this known to our customers, that we do not look at your personal information and we don't share your personal information with anyone we partner with. It's all aggregate, and as far as I'm concerned. If you want us to look up, have I bought this book before? <laughs> we, can, we have the capability to do that if you've given us your name. We don't take your contact information unless you're placing a special order. We don't sign you up for our email newsletter just because you have given us your email address. I very explicitly make that an opt-in, which I know is bad marketing practices, but it's, again, it's my personal business philosophy and I'm the boss and so I get to decide that. <laughs> the point of sale system that I use gives me a lot of data and reports that I can look at and I find it really helpful when I'm making buying decisions. Our website syncs up with our point of sale and so people can place orders through the website and I can look at a sales history of a given title and even sometimes compare it with other stores. And that is really powerful information for a small business to have access to. That's something that was not the case 10 years ago or even, I mean, like it wasn't the case for me five years ago using a different system that I had then. And I really value being able to have that information. But if it came attached to any personal information of a personal customer, it would make me very uncomfortable as I was listening to the episode with the authors you were speaking with earlier, uh, one of the authors was speaking about how people who are younger than I am, I'm turning, I'm just about 38, are so used to giving out their personal data that it's just a non-issue for them. And that is terrifying to me. Uh, I was just thinking this morning about how people now pay companies, private companies, to give them their DNA. So here's $150 and here's my DNA. And now you have my money and you have all of this very, very personal information about me that it just, 
is so strange and <laughs> I but that's 2018 uh, and it seems to be totally normal for people but um, I the note that I wrote down the quote that I wrote down from the uh, um, your conversation with the authors was that the next phase of human government where we hold to heal those whose technologies would seek to direct our lives and that is a really powerful statement to me because I am so wary of huge corporations um, in general, uh, but I think the part of why that wariness exists for me is how much they know about me personally and everyone else uh, and what they can do with that data because part of what they're getting when you give them your money for a service or product is not just money for a service or a product, they are getting a data point. And um, we can choose as consumers, as readers, as uh, music lovers, as whatever kind of media or product it is that you're buying, you can choose to make that purchase somewhere that's not turning you into just a piece of data. Um, and my store and many other independent bookstores around the country operate that way. And I hope that that is sort of a value-added service that we we don't look at your data, we don't treat you that way um, that indies can offer to readers. Yeah, and I think another thing that uh, indies kind of offer, and we've talked about this with some of the other booksellers that we've had on this, um, is being a space. I mean, just sort of being a neutral space um, for discussion, for uh, coming to find book recommendations, and, and just also conversation, um, you know, about how indie stores especially, um, that they can open their doors um, and without expectation of purchase. That would be nice to buy a book from a local <laughs> We do indie appreciate store. that. Um, but there's not <laughs> that expectation, right? Is that like you can come into your indie store and chat with the bookseller um, and or or chat with your friends or... or your even, neighbors. Yeah, exactly. Is that you can, can meet your community. There. Yes. You can see who else is with you. Um, and so maybe talk a little bit about, um, you know, your space, how you maybe encourage that, um, you know, in, in a story a bookshop and how um, maybe you've seen other stores do so, but um, yeah, may maybe have a little bit of a thought on that. Absolutely. That uh, serving as a community space is one of the very core elements of my business model. And when I first opened, one of the first things I did before I even opened was to uh, arrange for a few author events in the neighborhood to sort of test the waters and see will people come out in this neighborhood for a book related event because having a space that people can come to and experience storytelling experience sharing of literature experiencing a love of books together is something that a bookstore can offer in a way that an online retail environment never can. And so we host weekly story time for children. Right. We host writing workshops. We host author visits um, for adults and for children. Uh, we have a busy events calendar. And I think part of that is, serves the bottom line of my business because 
as an independent bookstore, you can't just depend on the fact that people do buy books, and so therefore you'll be able to pay your rent. You need to give them an excuse to come back as often as possible. Um, but that sentiment would be false if you weren't actually serving a community need. And I think just about every community in the country that has a certain density of population is going to want a space for people to come and gather around a shared love of words. And so that is what I hope my store and the stores that I modeled myself after um, although obviously each of us serves a different community and so we each have a different um, uh, flavor sort of. <laughs> but that is that is certainly the goal. Uh, you have taken a stand on your own personal social media, but the store also encourages you know has been encouraging people to vote in those last few weeks um, and has often you know as a store on social media, I guess like how do you balance that? Um, with being sure that you're not alienating people, um, but also with making your space and your store what you intend it to be. And to how, how do you find that balance? Um, and do you have advice for stores that maybe are a little reticent to do it? Um, you know, have you had backlash? And, and in what ways have you dealt with that? Or have you been really lucky and, and you know, not really had a ton of backlash because you were true to your beliefs? And, and can people read that? Um, I think that in terms of finding a balance, I that's that hasn't been my approach. Yeah. I'm trying Fair. to be true <laughs> to myself. I don't know that I could run a bookstore successfully in a community that did not support the initiatives that I've tried to enact because I would just not connect with um, with my customers and with the, with my neighbors, um, and so in that way, I think part of it was being strategic and lucky in where I chose to open my store. Right. Um, I honestly don't know how many people we may or may not have alienated by by starting a well, it was a customer initiative to start a feminist book club, but that sort of thing like absolutely fits with my agenda as a book lover first and a bookstore owner second. And so that to me is the the feedback from the neighborhood is that okay, good job. Keep what what are you going to do next? We've given a discount to people who come in with the with their I voted sticker on primary day on I mean New York has multiple primary days so we do that regularly um, and have been doing that for a couple of years this year there is a woman in the neighborhood who started a campaign to sort of gather up all the local businesses that are offering that kind of promotion and to collectively promote that to encourage more engagement with voting in the neighborhood and I very very eagerly signed on to be one of the participating stores um, what a great initiative. Yeah, right? What a great, yeah, what <laughs> a great it's, idea. It's too bad that uh, small businesses need to feel the need to incentivize people to exercise their right to vote. But if that's a thing that I can do, then I'm going to do that. Because yeah. voting in every single election is so important. Because it makes it makes, especially in the small local elections where you're voting for your city council member and you're right. voting for your state representative, which can be arguably more important in some ways. Yes, for sure. Uh, they At least for your day-to-day -day I think for the most part, really, mm -hmm. as a resident um, and as a business owner in New York, 
that definitely that makes more of a difference in my life than who my senator is. And obviously, I want people representing me in the Senate and in the House who who are representing my best interests. But uh, more directly, the difference is made by who can help get a bike rack installed outside my store. And that took a year and a half to make happen. But we have it now, and it's wonderful. And when I posted on Instagram, that was one of our most popular posts of the year to say, look, here is a bike rack outside the store. Thank you to the customer who is on the board of the Queen's Transportation Alternatives, who was in touch with our local representative to keep at it and make that happen. And that little change makes my store more accessible. Especially when I'm sure the cost for installing a bike rack is probably negligible compared to some other uh, expenses. Those are the details that I actually don't know about. But that's because it's not my job to know about that. (laughs) Because we elect people to to take care of that for us. Um, And so that that sort of small daily improvement in your life, um, those people who you elect... uh, are the people who make those decisions. And so I really encourage everyone to look at the entire ballot, not just the big deal things, not just your national, the people who are representing you in, in DC, <laughs> um, but look at every single name, your your community board members. And uh, yes, it's all, it's all important. <laughs> Um, okay, well, let's get to your area of expertise then. I'm going to ask for your book list. Um, so I think in this one, a uh, perfect kind of mix will be a bit of maybe some nonfiction um, or even some fiction that uh, maybe will put you in the mindset and give you a little bit more information for this upcoming election and just for politics and that kind of stuff in mm-hmm. general. Um, and then maybe a little bit of escapism if you have a few, <laughs> oh my goodness, I cannot read any more um, you know, articles or information about this and I need to escape. Right. Um, the n- most recent nonfiction that I just finished was Soraya Chamali's Rage Becomes Her. That is mm. one of several books this year published about women's anger. And it is, it's wonderful. Um, it, every chapter, it seemed like, helped me understand a different woman in my life. I could see... I, I feel like I understand my mother better now, and I understand <laughs> my oldest sister's yeah. m- divorce better now, and I understand uh, each little different kinds of anger, different ways that it can play out, different ways that it affects you biologically and psychologically, and different ways that we, especially as women, but that humans in general... Uh, handle anger and how that can translate into action or inaction. Um, I think it's incredibly relevant. It's not a book about politics. It's about, it's a social science book. Um, There's a a lot of citations of lots of other texts and articles, um, but it's definitely approachable and fascinating. In terms of escapism, I was looking at the list of what books I've read most recently, and nothing has been escapist. Even the things I try to read that I think are going to be fluff, I I picked up um, Kat Valenti's Space Opera earlier Ah, this year, thinking that it was going to be like a fun, 
fluffy beach read and it turns out that no it's actually a story about the importance of creating art in the face of chaos and war Uh, (laughs) kind of important now though sure it's also (laughs) a really funny fantasy sci-fi fantasy about what if eurovision happened on a galactic level um, so it is fun, but it's it's sort of my version of escapism. Yeah, um, yeah. Discworld is always my go-to escapist novels. I I read I've read a lot of Terry Pratchett's books, and I still mourn his loss because those books also are escapism, but also really valid critiques of society, uh, which I suppose m- maybe says something about me and what I think of as escapist. Uh. (laughs) I also just think that, I mean, right, books are just a wonderful way to do that kind of thing, right? Where it's a fun, interesting romp across the universe um, that is completely and totally about our universe and, in fact, planet Earth. Um, Yes. I mean, they're just the perfect vehicle for that kind of thing. Yeah, I think sci-fi fantasy especially gets into those kinds of critiques in a way that um, realistic fiction often, well, I wouldn't say often doesn't, but sci-fi fantasy is hard to do well if you're not critiquing something or making some commentary. Right. And I think that's why I love the genre so much. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much um, for all of your wonderful insights. Um, Thank you for joining us. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you'd like, you can follow us uh, at OUP Academic on Facebook and Twitter. You can also listen to this podcast on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And don't forget to vote this November 6th.